Welcome to How I Lawyer, a podcast where I talk to attorneys from throughout the profession about what they do, why they do it, and how they do it well. I'm your host, Jonah Perlin, a law professor in Washington, D.C. This episode is sponsored, edited, and engineered by my friends at Law Pods. Law Pods is a professional podcast production company focused solely on attorney podcasting. I absolutely love working with them, and if you're considering becoming a legal podcaster or just want to learn more, check them out at lawpods.com. And now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back. In today's special episode of How I Lawyer, I'm excited to partner with The Appellate Project, which is a nonprofit dedicated to diversifying the appellate bar and empowering law students of color to thrive in the appellate practice. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to hear from different appellate advocates from diverse backgrounds about their path to and success in the appellate field, and most importantly, why it matters that they're there. I'm also excited to welcome back Javeria Khan, the founder and executive director of the organization, The Appellate Project, and my guest back on How I Lawyer episode 10 all those many months ago. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and uh, listen to her story as well. So thanks for being here. It's truly my pleasure, Jonah. Thank you. And the last time we spoke on the podcast, Juveria, was almost two years ago. So before we begin the panel, I was hoping you could share briefly a little bit about where TAP's come over the last two years and where it's going. Sure. So we are just starting year three. And in that time, we've had nearly 500 students go through our mentorship program. We've had even more attorneys, judges, and law clerks from the appellate bar be involved as mentors and volunteers in our programming. And as a result of all of that, we've seen our students get really competitive appellate opportunities, internships, fellowships, clerkships. And I think all of that is a direct result of, of course, their talent, but now the right people seeing that talent and realizing that there's really highly qualified candidates out there and that can do appellate work. And I I think it underscores that thinking of systems change can be very overwhelming, but you can just start with one thing. And it's awesome to see how many people have jumped in to get involved and and create an appellate bar that really reflects all of us. That's fantastic. And you know, when we talked, you were really, really early in the process. And it's just been so amazing to see from the outside, the program grow and you grow as its director, and especially just the number of mentors and mentees and relationships that you've been able to build over these past two years. I think the impact is apparent to all of those of us watching from the outside and really gets to today's topic, which is how we can diversify the appellate bar, why we need to diversify the appellate bar, and also to celebrate those folks who are already doing that work. And now I want to dive into hearing the stories uh, and the advice of the members of our awesome, awesome panel today. I think it's really important to hear and learn from people who are just a few steps ahead on the path, and each of these individuals uh, fits that bill. I'd like to get started by hearing from Christina Naharo about sort of what you're doing and uh, how you got there. Sure. Um, and first of all, thanks so much for having us. This is a, a wonderful opportunity. So when I went to law school, I knew 100% that I wanted to do public defense or some kind of social justice or some kind of working with impacted communities um, in the criminal legal system. And I wasn't necessarily sure kind of what means it was going to take, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so in law school, I tried out a bunch of different things. I worked at EJI in Alabama. I worked at some trial level public defender offices, um, PBS and San Francisco public defender. And most fortuitously, I joined the Berkeley Law Death Penalty Clinic my 3L year and was assigned to work with an appellate practitioner. 
And before that, I hadn't really considered appellate, even though it's a huge part of criminal defense work. And I really loved it. It was fabulous. I got to work with a practitioner who's now my colleague at the Office of the State Public Defender. And yeah, it was a fabulous experience. And it really opened my eyes to that side of criminal defense. But then when I graduated, I kind of took the more well-trodden criminal defense, public defense path, which was trial level advocacy. And I did a year at Contra Costa Public Defender as a graduate law clerk. And then I joined the Maryland office as a public defender. And I had a felony misdemeanor caseload there. And I was there for about four and a half years. And I'm glad I tried it out. I think it was super gratifying in many ways. I was able to work with the clients and communities that brought me to law school that are close to my heart, but it definitely wasn't for me in the long run. And and why is that? You know, tell me a little bit more about why that particular path wasn't for you. You know, I just felt like my strengths and where I really thrived was more in the writing and research and more in the appellate advocacy, but I still felt like I had great ways of relating to clients. I loved working with people. I loved helping people. And I can still do that in in where I am now. And I did get that opportunity to apply for OSPD about two years ago. And I am an appellate advocate now, but I feel like I'm I'm still working with the clients I want to work with. I'm still giving back to the community that brought me to law school. So it's been a really great way of transitioning. It's definitely more suited to my personality but I'm immensely grateful for having the ability to start in trial work. I think it informs my appellate law career now, but I'm very grateful to be at OSPD. Like you said, we do capital appeals. We do non-capital appeals. We do some policy work, some amicus. So a lot of different ways of kind of approaching that issue, um, approaching the kind of world of criminal defense and people who are incarcerated and advocating for them. And like I said, I've been there two years. It's, been just really fabulous. I think it's definitely where my heart is and what I'm most interested in doing. And yeah, so that's kind of my my path from not knowing where I was going to start to trial practice to now being an appellate practice. To follow up, I mean, I guess one of the things that's interesting to me about your story is that you initially felt like you didn't want to do appellate work and trial work was a better fit. Why do you think that was that you weren't initially drawn to appellate advocacy? The worst kind of thing or the saddest thing about that is that it's not as flashy. It doesn't have the cachet of trial work, especially, you know, trial level criminal defense. You know, you have the Johnny Cochran's, the OJ trials, you have kind of that, you know, cachet and draw. But appellate advocacy is much more understated. I think you can still be just as brilliant and wonderful as an advocate, but it isn't kind of the thing that's pushed in law school or the thing that you see. You see a lot of trial practitioners come and talk. You see a lot of heavily recruiting to trial-level public defender offices. And there are tens of jobs for that. And a lot of introductory or kind of early-level jobs that you can get into right out of law school. The appellate work is kind of more hidden, but I do think that there's opportunities for people who are interested in appellate work to go right into it. For instance, my office has a fellowship position that we do take two students right out of law school or right off a clerkship and introduce them to appellate law um, work and criminal defense work in this way. So there are getting to be more opportunities. You kind of have to look for them, especially when trial work is so heavily pushed, especially in criminal defense. But there are opportunities. And I think just talking to people and meeting people, as I said, I was paired with a practitioner who works at my office now. And that's my first introduction to 
criminal appeals. And I'm so grateful for that, but it was kind of like I stumbled into it. But it is out there. There are people who are interested in it. There are people who, are, who can do it. And I think it's just networking, that kind of, that word no one likes to hear. I like it, but, you know, it's not for everyone. But you do have to kind of put yourself out there and see different people and meet different people and hear their experiences because the jobs are there for sure. And I guess my other follow-up to that is, do you think it was really worthwhile or even necessary to have that trial experience before you became an appellate advocate? Did it help you or does it help you in the job you do today? I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think somebody who is more inclined to do appeal should force themselves into trial. But I think it's worth a try. I think, at least in law school, you should definitely kind of see what's out there, see what you're interested in. But I do think it informs my work. I think it helps me think things through and think through approaches that maybe different trial attorneys have taken. There's a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking, but I was in that position too. So I can kind of understand and look at the thought process that went into it. And I mean, the rules of evidence, the easiest way to learn them is in the courtroom. So that is one thing I would recommend. But I do think I was really happy I started in trial work and then moved to appellate, but I, I know that's not for everyone. But I would highly recommend people try it out, try out everything in law school, including appellate work, which might not be at the top of your head when you start. Thank you so much, Christina. I really appreciate you sharing your story and your thoughts about your path. Now I'd like to turn to another member of our panel, uh, Mahogany Reed, who's an appellate attorney at the Department of Justice. So Talk to us a little bit about, about your path, what you've done, and where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. And I echo Christina and Javarius. Thanks for having us uh, today, Jonah. Unlike Christina, I had no clue what I wanted to do when I went to law school. I was introduced to the profession through my mom, who was a legal secretary. Um, she worked with and for lawyers. She wasn't a lawyer herself, but she brought me to work after school and introduced me to uh, what she, you know, her bosses. And I just had really good associations with the people she worked with. They were very nice to me, kind to me. And I just knew that I wanted to do what they did and be like them. And so I just kind of followed that all the way through to law school. Um, on my first day, I had no clue what I wanted to do. And I tried everything. I was surprisingly good at tax law, which I tried. I did everything and sort of Followed the advice of people who recommended you know, ways to succeed in law school. Did the whole law review thing, but I enjoyed nothing more than moot court. I loved moot court and put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. Um, viewed it as an extracurricular, but didn't really think it could be a way to practice after law school. I just thought it was something fun to do to pass the time in, in school and then move on after school. It really wasn't until my clerkship on the Fifth Circuit that I thought appellate practice might be for me. We were in oral in New Orleans for oral arguments. And after our panel was done for the day, my judge came and, and really encouraged my law clerks and I to sit in on a voting rights case that another panel was hearing. And so, you know, we did. We viewed it as an opportunity to sort of set our own work down and go just sort of listen and relax before lunch and come back. And so we went and we sat in the back of the gallery and I noticed that council table for one of the parties, there were two black women sitting at the table. This is the first time I'd ever seen a person of color at council table in the fifth circuit. Uh, and by this time I had been clerking for four or five months. 
And, you know, I leaned over to my co-clerk. I was like, surely they're not going to stand up and speak to the judges. And sure enough, one of them did and gave what I recall being the like, most eloquent, most persuasive oral argument I'd ever heard, probably to this day. I just have such really fond, a fond recollection of, of that presentation. And I leaned over to my co-clerk and I said, that's what I want to do. And so from that point on, I just kind of set out to do literally exactly what she did. She was an appellate attorney at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, um, arguing that case. And so I pulled up the LDF website, monitored it very closely for opportunities to join the organization and potentially brief and argue cases in federal courts of appeals. And one day, a posting for the John Payton Appellate and Supreme Court Advocacy Fellowship opened on the website. And I applied and um, was lucky enough to get it and really enjoyed that role. I spent two years at LDF doing appellate and Supreme Court work. It was a mix of appellate work and trial work, but it was a, a really great couple of years. But I did do primarily amicus work and was interested in doing more substantive appeals. And so at the end of the two-year fellowship, I set out for uh, an opportunity, a position to do more substantive appeals. And the position at the Department of Justice uh, seemed seemed perfect. And so here I am. What I really love about that story is how important it was for you to be in the right room at the right place. And you couldn't have planned it, right? At the same time, it took a lot of work. It took three years of law school, getting a clerkship, having a judge who was going to tell you to watch. And what I also love about that story, and it's kind of giving me goosebumps, is how important it was for you to see that particular oral argument and the people who were doing it. Was it really as simple as seeing that oral argument and deciding this is the lawyer I want to be when I grow up? It was like a switch clicked in my brain and it was what I was going to set out to do. And that was it. There was really no question after that. I didn't go directly from my clerkship to LDF. I did spend a year and a half at a, at a boutique litigation firm in Houston and I really enjoyed that experience. I echo Christina's comments about the benefits of trial level work to being an effective appellate advocate. But I knew in my mind that I was going to be an appellate advocate or I was going to work at LDF or I was going to be an, appe an appellate advocate after that point. Um, and it was just a matter of of making it happen. And so, and I feel, I do feel very, very, very fortunate. You know, it, in retrospect, it seems like really fortuitous the way, the way it all happened. It was a lot of, a lot of work, but I do feel very, very fortunate to have had, had that opportunity and to have had that dream essentially realized. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Mahogany. Next, I want to hear from, from Juan. Tell me a little bit about your, your story, what you do, and, and a little bit about how you got there. Uh, thank you, Jonah, for including me today. I would start with how I got to uh, Curtis, the law firm where I am today. I had a, a little mini career, I say, right before going into law school that had to do with marketing and business development. But I left that and went to Berkeley Law and then to Curtis eventually uh, because I had an interest in international law, international disputes, not only foreign affairs, international affairs generally, but also economic, international issues. So I was looking for a way to get into that space as a, as a field of work. Berkeley was great for that. And I had a great mentor there in international law who connected me with a partner 
in our London office at Curtis. And that opened up uh, a path that I look back on today and think, wow, how did that happen? How did I go from being a young man in California trying to figure out what to do with himself to um, and knowing and having a dream about doing something international to landing at an international law firm in New York? I don't have relatives that are lawyers. And so this was all a sort of uh, new journey that I, that I was able to figure out with the amazing support and help of uh, various mentors along the way. So this is how I, I got to what I do. And one of the neat things about my practice is that I don't only advise private companies and commercial is- on commercial issues, but I work a lot with foreign governments and foreign state-owned entities which is a particularly interesting piece for me because I'm really kind of a fan of foreign affairs, international relations, international affairs generally, and representing foreign governments is one way where the work I do is not just about fighting over money. Sometimes it's about public interests at large, but I get to do it at a law firm, which is an amazing place to work. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about the sort of balance of both maybe your work today and the work you did before you are where you are in terms of trial work, litigation type work, business type work, and doing appeals. And, you know, more recently doing appeals at sort of the highest level, even at the United States Supreme Court. How did, how did you balance all those things? How did you learn about all those things? And sort of how did that come about? Yes. So going into law, I didn't really know what my legal job would look like. I don't think I'd ever stepped foot into a law firm before uh, going through the on-campus interview process. So I didn't really understand what it was that I was looking for. But as I went through law school and tried to figure out what I enjoyed and got to the firm, I actually began first in what we called the International Corporate Group slash Arbitration Group. So I was doing not traditional litigation in court, but more alternative dispute resolution and transactional corporate work supporting some of those uh, clients. And I thought that would be a good way to go because of that background in business and marketing. I thought it was a good transition. But then I quickly realized, uh, working with one partner in particular at Curtis, uh, he's the chair of our litigation department worldwide, that I had a, I had a, a knack for legal writing and research and, and litigation and thinking through tactically, strategically, how to litigate a case. And I learned so much from him about how to put together a brief, how to think the order in which to take the different steps in the litigation process. And the case I started on was in uh, the Southern District of New York, quickly went on appeal because of a, a interesting virtue of the area of law that I practice in, foreign sovereign immunities. You get immediate appeals when the immunity is denied. And so we were in the Second Circuit briefing this very novel issue of international law, international treaty law. And I just immediately, I think it was a maybe second year or so, I immediately fell in love with the appellate process, hmm. the, the process of doing in-depth research, thinking about the law, how it applies to your case, but also how it applies more broadly and the impact it would have. And, and because we were dealing with an issue of first impression, it was exciting to think that whatever happened in our case would likely set the precedent that would apply for all future cases. So that, that was a, an exhilarating thing to, to be a part of. And after that uh, Second Circuit decision, which we won, and that was even that made it even more that all that more exciting, <laughs> um, which we won, and, and today is 
still the the precedent that um, that people rely on for enforcing a particular kind of award under international treaties that we work with. And after that experience, I wanted to do more litigation, but because I wasn't, I hadn't grown up at the firm my first couple of years in litigation, I wasn't quite viewed as a litigation associate. And there are fundamentals that you pick up your first year as a litigation associate, your second year, that you don't really think about maybe when you're doing it, but simple things like drafting a, a complaint or a motion, looking at the local rules, things like that, right? And I thought about how to make that transition more clear. And clerking became the way I did that. Hmm. I, in speaking with friends who had clerked around, who, had, who were finishing clerking around that time, they suggested it. They said, Juan, we think you might actually enjoy this. You might be good at this. You should try. And speaking with the clerkship advisor at Berkeley about my chances of being able to do that after I had already graduated law school and not having tried to even position myself for a clerkship while I was in law school, if that could happen. And he encouraged me. He said, yes, there are judges out there that are going to want clerks with your uh, experience, with your uh, skill sets and what you can bring and contribute, even if it's not the traditional uh, candidate that other judges might be looking for. Sure. And, he was, and he was right. So I went off and did my district court clerkship uh, with an amazing judge, Judge Jones, uh, in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And through him... I was able to meet my court of appeals judge, Judge Restrepo, on the Third Circuit. <laughs> and more than I ever imagined, I ended up clerking not only on the district court, but then shortly thereafter on the court of appeals. And those two experiences combined made it even more clear to me that litigation, but then also appellate work as an additional part of what I do, was something that I was good at, that I enjoyed. And that um, I was the, I would say, the most uh, excited to do whenever I get the opportunity to do it. Absolutely. Well, I, I love that story for so many reasons. You know, one we've been talking about on this panel about how ideally, if you can find something that you both are pretty good at and like doing, like that's the sweet spot that you want to try to hit. The other thing I love about that story, and I'm so glad you are here to share it is how a couple of instances or a couple of moments all these years later stand out as big picture changes. And it's not like it's easy to think all of those things were planned or all of those things were obvious in the moment, but from the right, you know, being with a professor who is willing to support you at Berkeley to working on a particular case at a particular time at a particular firm to working with a partner who sort of helped you think all this through to a clerkship advisor who said, yeah, you might not look like everyone else who's applying, but you should apply, to two judges who said, yeah, he may not look exactly like the other applicants who are coming right out of law school. It's amazing how in just a short period of time, you can identify those incredible moments and those incredible people. I guess the follow-up to that long sort of summary, which I, I hope was okay, yes. you know, the follow-up to that is, in those moments, was it always obvious when you wanted to sort of jump and take that next step? You know, with hindsight, it might seem more obvious, maybe. I love that. But I don't know if at every turn, at every twist and turn, I knew exactly what that moment and next moment would look like. Yep. All I knew is that I was trying to head in a general direction. You know, I was trying to head into international work. I was trying to head into hmm. disputes work. I was trying to head into work that 
drew from my strengths in analytical thinking and research in taking complex ideas and writing them in simple, easy to understand ways. I wanted to take what I had learned as a marketing communications person and the storytelling and the, and the sort of persuasion of buy this or you need this service to uh, telling a story in a brief to a panel of judges or to uh, a judge accept my theory by my story that you sure. know, that sort of um, transferable skill set. So I knew along those ways that I was trying to head in that direction, but I don't know that it was very obvious to me how I would get there sure, or that every sure. step was helping me get there. In hindsight, though, I look at those moments, like you say, and I think about how critical each of those individuals and others were in helping those fork in the road moments bring me closer and closer to where I am today, which is doing a lot of what I would want to be doing in terms of uh, appellate legal work and international disputes work. Yeah. And it's so cool to hear because, you know, the other panelists, as we've talked about, and we'll continue to talk about, you all have this title like appellate lawyer, or you think of yourself as an appellate lawyer, but you do really different things in different areas of the law for different clients and different businesses. I'd like to turn to Ian, who I believe is joining us from uh, Philadelphia and uh, so, Ian, if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself and your practice uh, and how you got to where you are today. Hi, thank you for having me. And I want to say that uh, for any law students of color out there, the Appellate Project is really filling a gap that for me was not there and kind of leads into my story. How I became a lawyer, or wanted to become a lawyer, kind of indirectly also is applicable to my decision to pursue appellate practice. So in the fourth grade, I was learning about uh, separations of powers in my social studies class in a rural elementary school in Reedsville, North Carolina. And they said that the court was there to protect the rights of people, at least that's what it's supposed to do. And also during that year, I learned about Thurgood Marshall. And it was learning about Thurgood Marshall that I could see myself in a position to be able to affect change within the legal system. I come from a background that I would say is probably very familiar with a lot of people similarly situated to me. I grew up in a black household, single parent. My father was the one who uh, was the head of the household and the one who really took care of us. So there are black single fathers out there, contrary to popular opinion, that are really instilled in, in their young people. So I went home and I told him and I said, I want to be an attorney because I heard about Thurgood Marshall. And the thing that he did, and it sticks with me, was he gave me a Blacks Law Dictionary. And he said, well, if that's what you want to do, you need to study and you need to know. I didn't know anything about the Black's Law Dictionary. I didn't know any of the terms, but that kind of was my starting point to know I wanted to be an attorney. How I got started with appellate practice was my first internship in law school with uh, Judge Wanda Bryan of the North Carolina Court of Appeals. She's now retired. I didn't really know what practice area I wanted to practice in as an attorney. I didn't really know that much about appellate work. But clerking for her during that summer and being exposed to criminal law, civil law, law related to environmentalism, it kind of spurred in me a desire to want to practice from that more methodical and research-based approach versus going off the hip, as they call it. And so after that intern, which was my 1L internship, so I encourage any 1L law students, you don't have to run to the law firm clerkships. You can clerk for Court of Appeal judges in state courts and get some valuable experience. So after having that uh, experience in North Carolina Court of Appeals, I joined the Moot Court Board at my law school, North Carolina Central, and kind of 
really stuck with the path. I took a lot of writing courses, including judicial opinion writing, Supreme Court seminar. I also clerked for uh, Judge Joe Webster of the U U.S. Middle District of North Carolina. He uh, was a trial judge, a U.S. magistrate judge, but that kind of gave me even greater writing experience because writing is so critical to being an appellate lawyer. And uh, my last internship in law school was with Justice Anita Earls, which kind of put me in a very different position. There, we were constrained by precedent, but we were also, in some instances, having to create law based on these general principles. And so that was a very unique position uh, for a law student, especially a 3L law student, where I was so used to hearing what the law was, apply this law to a set of certain facts, and reach a conclusion that has been predetermined. But in that aspect, we were doing something extremely interesting and different for a Supreme Court. So that's why I also say state Supreme Courts are so critically important and need talented young people to be there to help influence the law within the state. Now I practice in the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office, where I also interned. Uh, now I practice criminal appeals. The position in the Philadelphia DA's office is interesting because we're not always taking the very traditional approach to prosecution. There are times where we challenge the system, such as uh, one particular case I worked on was a BOP sentence, where we thought that where a defendant only committed technical violations, which for people who don't know what technical violations are, they're violations that do not result in another criminal con conviction, but are something like not having a job or not completing anger management counseling, you know, these other requirements that a judge may impose. If a judge imposes a significant period of incarceration, we took the position that that was excessive. And so you're fine. It's the interesting balance of applying the law and upholding public safety, but also ministering justice. And that's what the oath of a prosecutor is. And that's the oath that an appellate prosecutor takes in reviewing cases. And in this office, I do feel like I have flexibility that if there is an area of the law, I think it's not in the interest of justice where we can, we try to push for change. And we lose in some of those instances more than we win, but at least we're making uh, the stance and the statement that we think that area of law should change. That's really just such a fantastic story. And the other thing is, it's so interesting to hear all of you on LinkedIn, you probably have the same title, which is appellate attorney. But your path to that job and what you do every day has some similarities, but also some meaningful and significant differences. Uh, and I'd like to ask some follow-up questions of all of you so we can sort of engage in a little more conversation, especially targeted for those people who are considering appellate practice or uh, equally important, those who aren't considering it, but probably should. And I guess I'll just start with Ian. And the first question I want to ask is if there's a particular skill or mindset or technique that you think makes someone who either wants to be an appellate advocate or who is a junior appellate advocate really stand out? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I would say the biggest skill I think that would service a person who's interested in appellate advocacy is attention to detail. We work with cases that are verbose. They have a whole lot of issues going on. There's extensive pages of briefs on one side, extensive pages of records, that you have to go through. And a lot of that may be relevant to some things, but may not be relevant to the particular issues that are before you. So being attentive to the details of your case, attentive to the issues and what is applicable to those issues and for the conclusion that you're reaching, I would say would take you very far. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm reminded of Judge Wilkins, who's a former D.C. District Court judge who's now in the D.C. Circuit. And when I was clerking on the District Court, uh, he did part of our orientation. And one of the things he said to us, and I remember it like it was yesterday, was that the District Court job, the trial court's job, is to get an answer. And the Court of Appeals job is to get the answer right. And obviously, he was joking, and now he's on the Court of Appeals, but it does speak to sort of that detailed-oriented nature of appellate practice. It's really about getting that answer right. Mahogany, what would you add? Yeah, uh, Ian certainly took um, made a great point, I think, relatedly, sort of like intellectual curiosity is really important, right? Legal research is a huge part of being an appellate practitioner, but like knowing what to research and knowing where to go is actually a, a tougher skill than you might think. And is really important to be able to like issue spot, think creatively about the law, think creatively about the argument you'd like to, to make, and then research and brief your case as best you can. But intellectual curiosity, learning as much as you can about the law, having sort of a, a wide a broad range of knowledge, uh, background knowledge about legal issues will will get will get you very very far. But you know, I think the spark there, the curiosity, wanting to know more, is a huge part of appellate practice. I love that answer, and you know, from my limited experience, you're much more experienced than I am. That makes a ton of sense because obviously, uh, that curiosity can really help you at the times when you're really digging in. And curiosity tied with what Ian talked about, which was that need for being detail-oriented really is what makes doing appellate work so special. Juan, what about you? I think that different appellate lawyers, uh, even though we're all working in, in the same kind of space as a matter of courts and procedures, bring different things to the table. So not all appellate lawyers have the same strengths or will bring the right set of skills to a particular issue, a particular case, a particular client. I think that what sets me apart in that way, in that regard, is I'm very committed to relying on the lived experience, on reality, on the concrete, on the facts on the ground, to support a story that then makes the legal rule hopefully obvious, that says, of course, because of the, how the world works and because of how law affects people's lives and affects business relationships and affects the broader public interest, the obvious rule here should be this abstract proposition. In other situations, you, want, you may want to begin from an abstract theoretical position that says, here's what we think the rule should be. Now let's see if we, if we apply it here, it turns out to work properly or not. So I think that my training at the firm has helped to take what can sometimes be a very intellectual, cerebral inclination, academic inclination, and always think about how it works in the case at hand. My mentor, as I mentioned, Joe Pizzurro, the chair of the department who I worked with a lot, he always says, what is the problem that we have to solve? We have a problem here. So uh, our client has a problem. Yes, it's interesting that the law said this or that that court said that in the abstract and in, in, a, in a theoretical framework, but how do we solve the problem? How does that solve the problem? So I think that problem solving is one of those strengths that, uh, as an appellate lawyer, I bring that, um, that sometimes gets a little bit lost in the practice of appellate law, which can become very intellectualized, especially this day and age, with the way that uh, our Supreme Court and other appellate court judges approach the law 
and have uh, ideas about how to solve legal problems. I think having a more pragmatic, more on-the-ground, lived experience, fact-based story to support the appellate legal arguments is an important distinction. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I think back to even when I was drafting opinions when I was clerking uh, on the Court of Appeals, I, I would often start the first draft, even if the introduction changed over time, it would start with the legal question before us is, and it was never about the individual case, right? It was about the bigger picture. Like, what is it that is at stake in this decision? And obviously, the answer to that question is going to dictate the answer to the question of the case in front of us. And I think that you're right. That's what makes appellate law really different. And it's a really thoughtful answer. My next question, and again, this is for all of you, is I'd love to hear a little bit more about the pitch for someone to become an appellate attorney, especially uh, someone from a diverse or underrepresented background. What might they be thinking? What might someone who's listening to this and saying, yeah, that sounds a lot like me, uh, or maybe it doesn't sound a lot like me, but it sounds really interesting. Uh, what, what's the pitch to do appellate advocacy? Yeah, I think the pitch, and I think this speaks a lot to what I enjoy about appellate practice. I think the pitch is that appellate practice affords you the opportunity to just continue to learn as a generalist. There's so much to learn in in this life and in the law. And I have, I think, since I started law school, kind of shirked, shunned the idea that I had to choose a practice area and then stick with it. And I think that obviously there are opportunities to specialize, be an appellate specialist, but more than most other practice areas. Appellate law is just kind of appellate law. It is it is what you make it. And so it's there's a sort of freedom that comes with that to obviously you want to learn the technical skills of being an appellate practitioner, but you can apply those skills to really any subject area and do well. And so that's something that is appealing to me. I don't know that there are very many sort of nerdy law students out there who are thrilled by the idea of learning a ton of law. I assume there are, but I think that is just the beauty of appellate practice. I've been able to do it in the civil rights context. I'm currently doing it in the criminal context and the technical aspects of, of my practice haven't changed much. I just, I now know a lot more criminal law than I did two years ago. And I think that's a cool, that's a cool thing. And Christina, what would you add? Yeah, um, I think there's been a lot of kind of discussion and recognition that trial-level public defenders should represent the communities that they're, they are literally representing. And unfortunately, those communities are Black and Brown communities largely. And so there is this kind of recognition that we should have people standing next to clients who are of the same experience, the same background, the same skin tone, the same skin color. And I think that's true of appellate work as well. And I think I definitely bring those experiences, that outlook, my understanding of, of the world as a Latina woman, my understanding of the world having, you know, experienced bias and experienced racism. And I can bring that to my appellate practice. And I think that's something that's really important and, and really helps advocate for our clients. And I think at the end of the day, that's, you know, what criminal defense practitioners are aiming for is, is to represent our clients at the highest level. And so people of color like thinking to go into appellate work 
is incredibly important, I think, because we do bring those different experiences and those different outlooks and those different understandings. And I think somebody mentioned, I think it was Ian or Mahogany, I'm sorry, in terms of creative thinking. And that is a kind of thing that we can bring to bear our experiences on on things that maybe someone who hasn't had our life experience or who doesn't come from where we came from can really contribute. So I would I would say that just as important as it is to have representation everywhere, it's it's very important to have representation in the appellate bar as well. Absolutely. And I think it makes a ton of sense. It's the idea, I think that people forget that appellate advocacy is what makes the law or makes the law what it is. Law is a living, breathing thing that changes over time. And that curiosity that Mahogany talked about uh, and also the representation that you're talking about sort of put together make appellate advocacy a really important place to make law and make society what it is. Juan? I think having um, a diversity of not just, uh, I mean, all sorts of diversity, right? Including the way that people look and the uh, backgrounds in which they were uh, raised and in which they grew up, having that variety, that diversity, I think generally we understand makes the outcomes of processes stronger and better, more refined. You avoid issues like groupthink, where everyone just is in an echo chamber reinforcing their own biases or reinforcing their own worldviews. So including people, diverse peoples, into the uh, appellate profession that has such an impact on the way people live, on the way society is organized, on the way business is conducted, will only make the appellate outcome, the law that comes out of those disputes and those decisions, stronger and more balanced in terms of the impact and effect it has on everyone. So that's why I would say that encouraging law students of color and others from diverse backgrounds to get involved in this field is so critical. And, um, and it's needed, as you've sort of suggested, the appellate bar is not a very diverse bar and, uh, and on, on a lot of different metrics. So we know we need to do better in that regard. And uh, part of it is getting people to get involved. And another part of it is breaking down some of the barriers that makes it difficult for those quote-unquote non-traditional candidates to make their way into the spaces, into the networks, into the places where those opportunities are being offered, where the conversations about who gets to get those opportunities are being discussed. So all of those reasons, I think, are, are important for uh, diversifying and creating more opportunity within the appellate field. So I want to end with a final question, uh, which is a question that I ask pretty much all of my guests on the podcast. And that is uh, asking for a piece of advice for people just joining our career. That could be individuals just graduating from law school or uh, individuals in their first couple of year of practice, either something you wish you knew sooner that you know now, or something that you just like to convey to those folks uh, who are starting, starting out in our profession. That's a tough question because it's hard to come up with one thing, but I would say that in the, in the path that I've taken as I look back, remaining uh, optimistic and positive about your uh, uh, chances or odds of being able to do what you want, notwithstanding that things may not go the way you anticipated. So for example, I've had experiences now where I thought I really wanted to work for someone or to go to a particular school or to be provided a a specific opportunity, and I was told no. And I was very disappointed and I was very discouraged, 
But then two, three years later, I end up doing something else that would not have been possible if I had been offered that uh, earlier opportunity. And I look back at that moment and I say, wow, how lucky was I that I was told no. And that allowed me then to pursue what came after, which was better than I could have expected or imagined. So I would say, accept the disappointment, but don't let that uh, hold you back. Just get back up and try again for something else. Christina? I would just say to be open. As I said in my kind of spiel that I kind of didn't know where I wanted to, the means to which I wanted to advocate for the communities and the clients that I was interested in. And I would have never thought, had you told me when I started law school, that I'd be an appellate attorney now. But here I am, and I love it. So I would say just be open and and try a lot of things out. That is what law school is for. And see what you're interested in, see where it aligns with what you're good at and what you're passionate about. And I am very lucky to have found that. But don't discount something just because you don't have the grades or you don't have the experience or you don't have this on your resume. I never clerked, but I'm still here. So I do think you can do it if you're interested in it and if you have the passion and dedication to to try it out and to meet people and talk to them and talk about their experiences. And that's what's so great about TAF because we're connecting those people, but um, just to be open and, and consider everything because you never know. I think that's such an important point. Being open is such an important part of uh, becoming a lawyer and being a lawyer and being a lawyer over time. So I really appreciate that answer. Ian, what would you add? I guess my advice would be never lose track of your why, why you want to be an attorney what it is, who it is you want to serve. I think there are several days, and not only I think I know, there are several days where this profession is not the most beautiful profession there is. There's days where you lose cases. There's days where you lose a uh, outcome that you particularly wanted, even within an office. And so if you remember why it is you want to be an attorney, why it is you want to be an appellate practitioner, and who you are serving, I think, will make those hard days much, much easier. Totally agree with that one as well. Uh, and if you can't really see it, but everybody's sort of shaking their head. Yeah, this this profession can be hard. Uh, and knowing what your why is and, and being willing to embrace it uh, is such, such an important part of practice. So thank you for that, Ian. Uh, Mahogany, what would you add? Yeah, this is sort of related to what Christina was saying, but I think my advice to be would be to not self-select out of opportunities. I think for law students, starting law school, first-generation law students, law students of color, uh, it's really easy to look around and say, I might be interested in this, but it's not for me. It's obviously not for me. I don't think I do a good job. And to self-select out of of opportunities that that you're qualified for. I think it's important to just as important it is to find your why you want to be a lawyer, it's important to find a community, you know, that supports you and reminds you that you are capable and you are more than competent and you should just go for it um, and just see where that takes you. Fantastic. Well, look, I want to be respectful of your time and, and the listener's time. And so I just want to say thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, Mahogany, I think that was a beautiful way to wrap up these questions and it was just so great to hear from the three of you who are all appellate lawyers, but had and have had very different paths, uh, and in some cases, very different whys uh, for why you're being here. And more importantly, also, it's great to do this with TAP, who is so dedicated 
to really diversifying our pellet bar. And as some of you talked about, each of you talked about this in, in your own way, appellate advocacy and the appellate bar is really, really important. And making sure that the appellate bar looks like the people in our society uh, is also really important for both protecting those who are part of the system or in the system. And it's also really important for defining what the law is. So I'm just grateful uh, for Javeria for putting us all in touch and putting this panel together and for all of you for sharing your story. I really look forward to hearing about all the great things that you'll do individually. And also, Javeria, maybe you can come back uh, in two years or hopefully much, much sooner and tell us about uh, how things are going with TAP uh, and its important mission. So thank you again for all being here. Thanks to TAP for uh, doing this collaboration. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Jonah. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Again, I'm Jonah Perlin, and this is the How I Lawyer podcast. Thanks to podcast sponsor Law Pods for their expert editing. If you're a lawyer considering starting your own podcast, definitely check them out at lawpods.com. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you'll consider sharing it with friends and colleagues or on social media. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please sign up for the email list at howilawyer.com or subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, if you have comments, suggestions, or ideas for the show, please reach out to me at howilawyer at gmail.com or at Jonah Perlin on Twitter. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.